Uh, we're going to be looking <laughs> at the book of Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at a number of verses. So if you could stand with me for the reading of Scripture. It's another lengthy passage, so, so I'll read it today. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 35, and we're going to go to the end of the... Well, we won't go all the way to the end. Yeah, we are. We're going to go all the way to 41. Mark, did I say Matthew? I meant Mark. Are you discerning that by the Spirit of God, or are you reading it? Good reading. (laughs) On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with... they, They took... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to pick up my Bible. Hold on. We're going to do this again. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with the boat, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, awaken us to the reality of who you are and give us the courage to follow you in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. My primary goal in this passage is going to be to answer the question, who is this? And based on who this is, how should we respond to him? But I want to, I want to work our way there. We're going to, I want to observe some things in the text that I think are very, very helpful for us before, before we get to that part of revelation. It strikes me that Jesus tells them to go get in the boat and they encounter this great windstorm. It's interesting because he sent them into a storm. And that kind of violates our idea of how God should be, doesn't it? Don't we feel like, well, God's just going to give me good things and he's going to always lead me away from the storm. He's always going to lead me into the peace. But sometimes, friends, God leads us into the storm because there are things that we will learn in the storm that we won't learn outside of the storm. There are things about prayer and the nature and the character, the protection and the sovereignty of God that we'll learn in the storm that we'll miss if he sent us around it. A lot of people these days are saying prayer doesn't work. Better are two hands working than a thousand hands praying. But those are because people, the problem with the the difficult thing about prayer is this, that you don't know what was avoided because you prayed. People are like, prayer doesn't work. How do you know? Because prayer caused things not to happen. If prayer caused something not to happen, how can you tell me that it didn't work? Because the Word of God tells me that God hears our prayers and He moves on our behalf when we cry out to Him. And so maybe we could think about all the things that didn't happen today and understand that that's, uh, understand that as a revelation of how powerful prayer is. How about the fact you weren't swallowed up by a, by a, by a meteor on the way in? Is it just because of science or just because of prayer? Probably both. Because prayer moves science as we're about to read today, right? High pressure, low systems. God's like, I got my own system. 
All right, so we, but people want to, we want to bang on prayer. We want to knock on prayer. Yes, and, and let me, let me, let me be, let me prove that I'm not being ignorant about the circumstances. People are saying, don't just pray for people who are, who are being shot and people who are shooting. Do something. For the love of God, do something. We are doing something when we're praying. But when we stand up from our prayer closet, when we walk out of that room, then we got to do something. Because what happens in the prayer closet is not only does it move the heart of God to move on behalf of us and the people that we're praying for, but it also transforms us in the process. It doesn't just change us in the process. It changes the reality out there and it changes the reality in here as well. And so what we do is we join our life to our faith. We join our works to our faith and we, we, we cause those things to cooperate for the glory of God. Are you tracking? Now you'll notice I didn't tell you what to do about the gun control debate because I don't have a, I don't have a dog in that race. In, in, in the sense from this pulpit, what I, what we need to do is, is get on our knees before God and allow him to transform our minds and our hearts and our hearts to be broken for the culture in the way that his heart was broken for the culture so that when we approach the culture, we do so with his heart and not our own ideas. You following? The ideas that I lead out with are crazy. When I hear bad news about something, my first instinct, my gut thing is I want to, I, I, it's bad. It's bad. It's the same kind of bad that we're trying to avoid, which is why we need to be transformed by God. Right? I hear something about a husband putting hands on his wife. No, we're going to have issues. But I'm not just going to show up at his door. I'm going to go to the prayer closet first and allow God to change me and give that man the benefit of the Holy Spirit getting to him first. You tracking? Okay, so we need to allow prayer to change us because prayer is guaranteed to change the world. But nothing will change if we're not praying. If we go around the storm, if you avoid the crisis or the crisis is avoided, we tend to think that it's because we're awesome. We're like, no problem, because I'm awesome. God, clearly, I don't need God because uh, I don't have a storm. But you don't know the storm that God has caused you to avoid. Now, there are storms that God leads you into that he's bringing. I don't have any discernment into whether this was a demonic storm trying to thwart the plan of God or whether this was God was like, if it was like a Truman Show style storm. You know, you know the Truman Show? Okay, it, it's an interesting movie. Um, but the Truman, sty- Truman Show where the storm was just around his little boat and everything else was fine. The creators of this thing had this storm and it just kind of chased him and it was designed specifically for Truman to keep Truman where he was supposed to be going. Anyway, so whether it was that, whether it was like a rain on just his parade or whether it was, or whether it was a demonic force coming to get him or it was just the general high pressure, low pressure system kind of that happened in that area and that was just kind of the prevailing winds in, in the, the system that happened. I, I don't know, but this I do know that God is sovereign in all of it. God is sovereign in all of it. And God's sovereignty isn't threatened by any attack of the devil. God's sovereignty isn't threatened by any mistake that we make. God's sovereignty isn't threatened when he sends us into a storm of his making to train us in godliness and righteousness, to discipline us, to pray, and to discipline us, to love him and to pursue him. The sovereignty of God is not under threat in this moment. And Jesus is the only one on the boat who's aware of it. (laughs) So he's just sleeping. I mean, these are fishermen. Yeah. And they're like, 
We're perishing. Now, this, that's Bible language. <laughs> like perishing. That's translation. They, they were like, the perishing is probably the best word for this. So we'll use perishing. They were like, we're going to die. <laughs> Jesus, we are dying right now. I'm like half dead. We're drowning and you're sleeping. What is wrong with you, Jesus? And he wakes up. And I, can you imagine? I mean, I know how I wake up when my kids wake me up. I've got a lot less Jesus in me than Jesus <laughs> had. So I kind of picture him, like I picture the table flipping Jesus or like the lamb holding Jesus, right? And I, I'm, I wonder which one he woke up with. You know, he's like, really? Like, or he wasn't even really sleeping. He's just like, bang, like, hey, I knew. Settle down. We're about to talk about this. I want to ask this question. Have you ever felt like Jesus was sleeping on your problem? That Jesus was sleeping in your crisis? You were afraid that the sovereignty of God was threatened because you couldn't make your bill payment? Because the HVAC broke? I mean, we could up the stakes because somebody has cancer or because somebody's died. Have you made the mistake of thinking that the sovereignty of God was at stake? Somehow God didn't know the circumstance. He didn't know the situation. That God maybe didn't care about the circumstance or the situation. I assure you that God both knew he was aware and he cared about the situation that they were in. And he cares, knows about the situation that you're in and he's sovereign over it. His sovereignty is not threatened even in our fear. It doesn't change the veracity of his love for us the veracity of the power to deliver us and to bring us through and to transform us. If you're wondering, when is it okay to panic? I would tell you that it's okay to panic when you see him panicking. Fair enough? <laughs> when you see Jesus panicking, panic. <laughs> then you're in real trouble. I was on a flight one time. You know, one of those flights that you hear about on the news where the turbulent was so bad and like the seatbelt was grabbing us. I thought I was going to have bruises on my thighs. And this, this flight attendant, she was maybe four foot eight. She was tiny. And, and she's in the back and she goes, everybody buckle up. <laughs> and then she buckles up and busts out laughing. She was having the party. She's like, yeah, just don't worry about it. And this guy's ringing his bell. He's like, your bell's not going to do anything. Just hold on. <laughs> she's cracking up. And, and I was like, okay, when she panics, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> but for now, we're good. And so I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm like, how's she doing back there? Because as long as she's good, I'm good. As long as Jesus is on the throne, you're good. As long as our Savior has risen, you're good. As long as that tomb is empty, you're good. As long as the Holy Spirit has poured himself out on us so that we can walk in authority and victory, you're good. And none of those things change when our circumstances change. Jesus knew on the other side what was going to happen in the middle, and he wasn't concerned about it because he knew they were going to the other side. Not only that, but he did it on purpose so that they could learn to pray and to cry out to God. And so if you feel like Jesus is sleeping on, on your issue, cry out to him and use this as an opportunity to plead with him to come save you. And if you start badly, he'll correct it. 
And then <laughs> he'll correct it. My prayers start off bad most of the time. I shared a story about that last week, about arguing with my wife about the proper prayer for our daughter. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Shouldn't do it. But my prayers start wrong. It normally starts with, God, get him. Yeah. And then it's like, with your grace and your love and your power. <laughs> and it was just a comma. <laughs> a promise. <laughs> a comma in my prayer but allow it to provoke you to pray one of the beautiful things about living in community family is that when other people I pray with them and they hear me pray they I hear them pray and that informs my faith and I'm like oh you know what they got more revelation in this than me I'm jumping on their boat for a second I'm jumping in with JC right now I'm jumping in with Scott I'm jumping in with Jermaine and Andrew I want I want to be on their boat for a minute because I don't have enough strength for this storm right now but their boat's a little bigger right now I'm jumping in with them Jesus was asleep in the, in the boat, not because he didn't know, not because it wasn't significant, but because he wanted to see if they were going to come to him. I wonder what would have come. I wonder what would have happened if they went when it was a little bit scary. <laughs> you know, that's just not like a doctrinal thing. It's just really not a point even. I really should have left that to myself, but we're, we're in it. <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if, if they were like, oh, the winds are picking up. Go wake him up. Like, I wonder if it would have just been... I mean, how many times did they, did they go over the sea and they're like, we don't, we don't really need Jesus. There was, there was no storm. Wow. You know, you, I promise you want him in your boat. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep going. So, so he says to them, he's like, why are you so afraid? I like highlighting how much Jesus asks questions he already knows the answer to. In this case, he doesn't give them a chance to respond. But you know they were responding in their minds. Uh, because our boat is falling apart and we're dying. That's what's wrong, Jesus. Newsflash, while you were sleeping, we were dying. That's cool. You can walk on water and stuff. But Peter tried. He didn't do well at it. And the rest of us were too scared to try in the first place. And so we are basically going to die. And Jesus, you know, like, where were you, Jesus? Why, are, why aren't you afraid? Right? Because, you know, we have these conversations. Like, the disciples didn't not have conversations in their mind. They had the same mind, the same kind of soul that we have. They weren't like ancient, like, cavemen, like, banging rock. Boat. Uh, like, like, they didn't not have thoughts except for the ones Jesus gave them. Right? And that's, it's true for all of the Bible. All the people that you read in the Bible, they're like you and me. They just, right? You tracking? So don't like over spiritualize it because it said they were, they thought they were perishing. <laughs> Not like, oh, I'm perishing. Oh. In a British accent, probably. The way, <laughs> the way American movies always give people a British accent if it's different than, yeah, except for Black Panther. Can I do it? Thank you, Jermaine. <laughs> and that's on the internet. Right now, just on the internet. So. Now, what's amazing, what's amazing is Jesus, so this is kind of a cool thing that happened, but you notice that he said, why are you afraid after everything was calmed down? Or wait, no. Yeah, am I good? Am I lying to you? Okay. They were afraid because they were like, what's going on here? 
What just happened? They're not going to die anymore. It's calm. Quiet. You ready? While things were falling apart, they were pretty fearful. Jesus calms the storm. He says, why are you afraid? And then they were filled with great fear. What scared him about the storm was the power of the storm. But then a greater power showed up. And they're left to go, "Uh uh-oh, who's this guy in this boat with us that even the wind and the waves obeyed him? What what just happened, Jesus? Because, like, we were mad that you were sleeping, but we didn't know you were going to do that. We thought... We thought maybe we could walk on the water or something. Like, we thought maybe something else could happen. But what did you do? And what power and authority do you have? Now, these guys would have known the Psalms. And the Psalms talk about a God who controls the weather. The Psalms talk about a God who, who, who has authority over the waves. The Psalms talk about a God who thunders and lightning or, or surround him. The Psalms, the Psalms paint this picture of a God who's sovereign over all things. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Uh, you might not be who we thought you were. You ever figured out that somebody in the room's not who you thought they were? <laughs> That's an awkward moment, isn't it? You're like, you start thinking through, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? Or you think that your cell phone was just still on? <laughs> no? Or it's just quiet because it's awkward. I mean, like you're having a conversation, you put it down and you're like, Wah! and you're like, oh, I hope I hung up. <laughs> it's kind of the same feeling, right? <laughs> Who is this man? What is this power and authority that he has? And I think the reason this was a significant question, I think the reason they were asking this question at this time is because if they could find out who is this man, they would know how in the world are we supposed to relate to him. Who is this man with such great power and authority? And is he for us? Are we on his side? We hope that he's, he's here to defend us and, and their, their hopes and their dreams, their, 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 their desire was affirmed, but not, not immediately. They just they were like, who is this man? And they're talking to himself. I don't know. I thought he was a rabbi. You said he was a carpenter. And like, right? He just said, come with us. And, and we went with him and he, he, he did that water and the wine thing. People have been talking about that. But what was that? We should all have a what was that moment in Jesus. They didn't know it then. But they were starting to understand that Jesus was more than they thought he was. And in just a short time, they would more fully understand who he was after Jesus would die and rise from the dead and show himself to, to them after rising from the dead and allowing him to see the scars and the, and the hole in the inside of his body and then rising to heaven in front of them and sending the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower his young church. They didn't know it fully then, but they had a little bit of an idea. And they started to get a glimpse that this, this man is Lord. Hebrews 2 says that everything has put under his feet. Everything is under his subjection. He is over all things, and there's nothing that hasn't been put under his authority. 
when he commissions them at the end of, at the end of his ministry, before he ascends to heaven, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples. Right? And they're like, oh, that's what that was. Just walking out the authority for our favor. What they didn't know at the time is that all of that power, all of that authority, all of that strength, all of that might was going to be used to their benefit and to their strength and to their salvation. All of the power of God works on our behalf to those who love him. So that's who he is. And so I want to answer the question now, how do we respond to him? How do we respond to this one? Who, how do we respond to the Lord? Mark twelve twenty nine says this. Jesus is being challenged by someone. He's being questioned. And his response about how we should respond to, the, to, to God, what is the greatest commandment? His response is this. He says, Jesus answered the most important is hero Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now all the husbands are like, how do we do that? How do we love? Right? The the culture's idea of love is temporary. So we're like, oh, send him a valentine. (laughs) Maybe maybe we go the other direction and we get really religious and we're like, I've got to put a lot of money in the offering basket. Maybe it's like, I've got to do a whole lot of things. I've got to behave the right way. I've got to use a lot of Christian language. I've got to dress a certain way when I go to church. I need to take on a certain language. I need to take on a certain personality and be a certain way. But I'm thankful that the Bible answers this question for us. How do we love the Lord? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, for, the, to, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. So as Jesus is Lord over all things... Everything has been put under his authority. What should our response be to this Lord is to love him. How should we love him? We would obey him and keep his commandments. In this case, the wind and the waves were a great example to us about how the storms in us should be dealt with. The storm had no choice but to come under the authority of Jesus. When he spoke peace to it, peace came to it. And Jesus wants to speak peace to your life. And he wants to speak peace to your situation. And he wants it to come under the authority of his lordship. His lordship includes his ability to save us. It includes his ability to change the natural world around us. It includes his ability to heal the sick and to heal the hurting heart and to restore the broken. His authority includes all of those things to provide for us and to care for us and to restore marriages. His authority includes the ability to restore friendship and turn hearts of fathers to the sons and sons to the fathers, mothers to daughters and daughters to mothers. That's the heart of our God and that's under the authority and the lordship of him. It's not outside of his reach. But how do we love him? How do we obey him? You know, the idea is that we we have to obey him. We acknowledge the lordship of Jesus by obeying him. You know, there's a book, it's called The Five Love Languages. And the idea behind this book is that we all prefer to receive love in a certain way. And we oftentimes give love in the way we like to receive it instead of the way the the other person wants to receive it. Does that make sense? So if Megan likes receiving, uh, well, I can, Megan enjoys uh, uh, works of service. She would much rather me do the dishes then write her a love note. Like the love note's cool and all. 
but the dishes. But I like to make out. That's my love language. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, I love you. Let's make out. And she's like, yeah. but that's not the, the, her love language. It doesn't show her like, hey, I really love you. For me to say, hey, I really love you means I got to go do the dishes. Right? It's not as much fun as making out. I'm, so, I'm real. I mean, can we can say that here, right? We can talk about um, we're married. It's not like a thing. We're, we're married. It's 13 years. We're all happy about it. We're doing well. But right. So we're doing well because, because I do the dishes and then she makes out with me. Right? If I were to just be like, hey, babe, let's make out. <laughs> it's Monday morning. <laughs> let's make Let's make out. And, and, and it's like, it's like, that's saying, I love me, Megan. I love me. Right. And if she's like, Hey, I'm doing the dishes for you. I'm like, yo, no, thanks. Let's make out. (laughs) You're right. Right. You getting it? You tracking? Our relationship with God is the same way. There are love languages. And we're like, we love it when God does everything that we want. And so we approach him and we're like, God, do everything that I want. Okay. But his love language is that we would keep his commandments. That we would obey him. And we're like, we, we approach him and we're like, I want all these things. And he's like, yeah, I want things too. And in this case, it's not a mutually submitted relationship. Right? This is not... Men die for your wives, women submit to your husbands, kind of submit to each other into life, right? It's not that kind of relationship where it's give, give, 100%, 100%. You know, it's not 50-50, right? It's 100-100. You got to bring all of you to the table. Okay, just, yeah. So, so it's 100%, 100%. It, it's not, it, yeah, we need to bring 100% of our tab- to the table, but, but if God can break math, he's more than 100%. He is the, the, um, the tiebreaker. It's like, God, I have this opinion. God's like, I have this opinion. And that's the reality. <laughs> right? They, they say there's, there's, <laughs> there's your story, your story, and the truth. With God, it's your story and the truth. And so we ought to obey. And his commands aren't burdensome. The, bur- the commands aren't designed to be a weight to us and to tear us down. The commands are really, they're a blessing and they're for our benefit. In case you don't believe, let's look at this real quick. I just want to look at, uh, we'll just look at a couple. Exodus chapter 20. We'll just look at the the top 10. And it's silly. Like when I read this, you're going to realize that it's silly that we take them off all the core, like not not a political thing. Like we should have it everywhere for everybody all the time. Like we, we should have it like when, before you walk into a store, it should say, hey, by the way, as you're going in there, don't murder anybody. On your way in, don't covet these things because then you're going to steal it. And if you steal it, you're going to go to jail. And, you know, like, and that's not your wife. Stay away from that. You tracking? So the Ten Commandments kick off in Exodus chapter 19, 20. And um, God's speaking to the people in, in Exodus 20. And he says, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And we're like, that's pretty, that's pretty limited of you, God. That's pretty exclusive. Why, why are you being so exclusive? 
It's, it's like being like, well, um, there's only one way to life and I'm it. And anything else would be death. So, I mean, we do have the choice in the matter. He's like, we, but really, if you want to be my people, don't have any other gods before me. I'm the way to life and I want you to live. It's like you, you've got a big old cup of water and a big old cup of bleach. You choose. That was graphic. Don't have any other gods before me. He said, you shouldn't make for yourself a carved image or anything, any likeness. Because Why are you going to pray to a stick? Yes. Don't pray to a stick. The stick can't do anything for your benefit. Yeah. It's basically, it's that simple. You shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't act like you're mine if you're not. Yeah. And don't use my name as a swear word. Yeah. It can mean both. Remember the Sabbath. We, why are we mad at God for telling us to take a day off? What is wrong in our brain that we're like, that is messed up. Chick-fil-A employees should suffer like the rest of us and have to work every single day because I want my chicken and my waffle fries. What is wrong with us that the God of the universe is like, hey, take a day and just chill. Enjoy all this creation I made for you. I made it pretty. I made it pretty awesome. I gave you creative ability so that you could do art and play sports and do things on this in this moment. Or you could just work yourself to death. That you could do that too. If you want. Or you could work your whole life to retirement until you're too sick to to enjoy any time. Which retirement uh, not to be offensive, but have I I'll do it. Yeah, so offensive. Uh, retirement as we think of it isn't really like a biblical thing. I even softened it by saying like, it's not a biblical thing. Like we're, we want to get to 65 and then just collect. Now there, that's biblical to store up so that you can live on it and you can have an inheritance for your children. That part's biblical. But that you don't have a mission or a purpose or meaning beyond the age of 65 is foolishness. That's when you really got something to offer. If you're over the age of 65 in this room, we need you. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your failures. We need your successes. We need you to, we need to sit down to coffee and be like, tell me what not to do. Help me out. Help me know what things are on my road that I don't see coming. Tell me where the potholes are because I know you already saw them. We got apps for that nowadays. We're like, hey, there's a cop hiding behind over by Route 28. Just stay away from there. Right? We, we, we need people who've been there already to tell us what we need to look out for. So we need you. Don't just retire and check out. We need you. These commandments of God, my goodness, you should not murder. Why don't we like that one? <laughs> Mutually beneficial for all of us. Like right at the same time, we all benefit right now. And Jesus is like, hey, don't even hate him. Why don't, why do we insist on that? I want to hate and I want to be hated, Jesus. Burdensome commands. Telling me what I should and shouldn't do. Not commit adultery. Why not commit adultery? You know, I'll tell you, I I read something really cool. I'm in a program at Wheaton College, uh, pursuing my master's in and uh, this really, this really cool thing. And then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll land. Um, I just thought this is just trivia. It's really interesting. It's fascinating. It, it's about, it's about God's sexual ethic. 
prior to the book of Genesis being written, most societies and cultures uh, uh, believed in either that man had always been there, but most religions, so when he said that there was a beginning, that was like, boom, mind blown. We didn't, we weren't always, there was a start. Yeah, there was a start and it started by God. But not only did it start by God, a lot of the religions, because there are spiritual forces at work and the people recognize the spiritual forces at work and they were like, oh, so I'm wondering if we've always, maybe the gods had relations with one another and then made us or gods had relations with one person and then made us and that's how we got here, right? Pretty, pretty interesting. And, and so you're like, oh, okay. But when in the creation account in Genesis, you see that God created man out of his will. And he created male and female in his image. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not a sexual God. I, I'm, I'm a God who, who appreciates sexuality, but I'm a God who created male and female very distinctly and very on purpose for very specific purposes. And that's to take my image across the face of the earth because just one sex can't properly capture all that I am. So I'm going to put my image in the two. And in the distinction, you're going to see the, the you're going to see some of my glory in a way that you can't see it if there was just one. But he desexualized God. And, 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 then, and then he's like, so not only did he desexualize, did God desexualize himself with the book of Genesis and the revelation that comes from it, but God said, not only that, but, but you're not just going to have relations with whoever you want, whoever you can get with. You're not just going to make out with everybody. He's like, you need one man and one woman. And he's like, he's like, that's where the erotic love is going to be expressed. Now, erotic, we're like, ooh, erotic, he said a bad word. It's not a bad word. It's a Greek word, and it's a good word. It means basically romantic love. It's sensual love. And between a man and a woman, yes, Jesus. That was his intent. (laughs) I realized, I I was like, maybe that wasn't the amen to look for. (laughs) But he's like, he's like, he's like, because society, the fabric of society depends on family and the beginning of family is this relationship. I don't know, guys, it got me really excited. And so basically the whole of Western civilization, this author was saying is only possible because God desexualized himself and caused marriage to be the place where erotic love was going to be man, uh, was going to be put on display for the world to see and for his glory to be known. While we're talking about sex and stuff, because I guess we, (laughs) Um, circumcision? <laughs> we're there. Hey, and then we're going to land. I, I mean, I, I just, I'm like, we're in that vein already. Like we're talking about sex things. It's been kind of a, so, so here's what he's like. It gets to the very heart of the sexual identity of a man. And he's like, I'm defining this for you. I'm defining your identity. I'm defining your relationships. I'm defining your life. And he got to the very core of a man's identity by calling for circumcision. And now we receive a circumcision of the heart. And Jesus cuts off a part of our heart and says, you belong to me now. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength belongs to me. So you should obey. Obedience is God's favorite love language. He can still the storm in your heart. He can still the storm from outside. He's sovereign in all things because he is Lord and King and we ought to obey. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would help us to obey you today, that you would bring us low in your presence and we would be the kind of people who demonstrate your love to one another by caring for one another 
and we would demonstrate our love to you in obedience. If there's anybody here today who you need to just bow your heart in obedience to Jesus. If there's an area of your life that's been um, outside of his lordship, it's been according to your plan and according to your purpose, and today you're ready to surrender. Can you raise your hand so I can pray with you? See that hand. See that hand. You can put your hands down after you've raised it. It's, it's not raised for me. It just helps things get real in our own heart when we raise our hand. If you raised your hand, Father, and then just pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus, I surrender. I recognize your authority. I recognize that you are king. And I surrender to you today. Give me the courage to obey you. The strength to believe you. And the faithfulness to walk in your love and your forgiveness. According to your good purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask one more question. How can you respond to God in obedience today? What's that thing that you've been putting off where if, if, if you were talking in a, and to, a, to a good friend and you were talking about your relationship with God and you were like, I really feel like God's telling me to fill in the blank. What is that thing? And whatever that thing is, I encourage you, move towards obedience today. Walk in obedience tomorrow and demonstrate your love by following Jesus wherever he leads. Into the storm or around the storm. Amen.